for everything happens for a reason. You've got to have that drive to do stuff. And even if you don't, embrace it. Understand what's going on. You've got to look in, you've got to look inside sometimes. And it's horrible. People don't like spending time on their own. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It Podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Right, okay. So today I have on the podcast uh, Ben Turner. Welcome, Ben. Um, I'd like to uh, introduce you to my audience. Would you be willing to tell my audience a little bit? about yourself please oh sure thing well thank you for the welcome uh, it's a pleasure to be here so yeah my name my name's ben turner uh, i'm a distinctly average kind of guy um that likes to do sort of crazy endurance adventures um in a nutshell i've spent a few years in the army left and now i'm slowly but surely finding the way that i can sort of live my own dream and kind of, you know, push to become the best version of myself and, and you know, kind of just live life to the full a wee bit, you know. Cool, man. Yeah, I know we've um, connected previously and I and I liked the way you've, con- basically, you've constructed your life. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, it's, uh, it seems, to, it's coming along quite nicely. Things seem to be falling into place. I find that uh, the more you actually sort of, drive and push towards doing what it is that you feel that you're meant to do you know what you're passionate about then then things start falling into place quite nicely if you, if you get trapped in the nine to five and you you don't do any action then these opportunities just don't show themselves so at the moment i seem to be sort of getting through a few of these opportunities and just having a great time in the process so. okay cool so okay can you can you go back a few years to maybe um so take us through sort of the life of, of Ben, maybe from like when he was in, in, in like uh, nursery, early primary. Yeah, sure. So, um, see, I'm, I'm, I'm 26 now. So <clears throat> to sort of put it into perspective, I, I went through the whole school system and, and, you know, into A-levels and then I spent seven years in the army and I've, I've been out of the army for a year or so now. So that's a nutshell. I think going back, Going back to my childhood, my parents used to call me Ray Mears. I would <laughs> Ray Mears book, and if I was in front of my bookshelf now, you'd see it. I've, I've got several books of everything outdoors, be it Walter Bernatti's sort of books of mountains, or Chris Bonington's books of climbing, or Ray Mears. I, I used to just read all of that. Um, I used to love it. Anything outdoors, I was all about. Um, and instead of, I never, well, we had a PlayStation 1, I think, back in the day. And my brothers were always competing on it more than I was. I was the runt of the litter, but I would always be outside, like, you know, messing around with sticks and trees, <laughs> building dens and just being an all-out awesome kid. <laughs> but I, I just absolutely loved it. You know, I was always outdoors doing stuff. I used to take the dog camping and, you know, we used to just have these awesome times. So I've always been a kind of outdoorsy folk. And um, that, yeah, that kind of dominated a lot of my childhood. Um, I was very imagination led, I think, with both of my brothers who are both older than me by a couple of years, you know, and there's a couple of years between them. It was always them too. And then I was the, I was the outlier. And it's not, it's not like it's a sob story. It was more a case of I had to find my own stuff to do. I would, I would just go off and I'll be imagination fed. And I, I really do genuinely believe 
um, that that's kind of shaped shaped who I am today because I'm still imagination led. Um, I, I do feel this is going to turn into a bit of a counselling. Uh, <laughs> oh, good, great. You know, I, I enjoy telling the story because uh, you know I've had a really really fun life, and I think I've made the most of some stuff. And hopefully, you know, not saying that my story is going to inspire anybody, but hopefully, just somebody listening to a a story there'll be somebody similar out there there'll be another ben out there doing of a similar life and um i'd like if, if they could sort of relate to that story it'd be great you know? okay so how how were you in the in the schooling system then because obviously it doesn't really cater for those desires and and imagination that you're talking about there well i grew up in shropshire so my primary school i when i was in year six there was 10 people in my year um, and we actually used to have, there was only three classes and we used to go away on like camps every year. Um, so you'd have like class one camp, class two camp, class three camp, and then class three is like, you know, year five and year six. Um, so it was actually really good because I used to be a massive, well, I still am, but even from a young age, I was a massive Land Rover head. I used to love Land Rovers and, um, it, it kind of fed that cause we had a really, really enthusiastic teacher, um, who was really outdoorsy, quite a fit guy. You know, we had like a, a a school running club and things. And I, you know, I was a fat, short kid at the time. Um, so I couldn't really run, but I you know, give it your best shot and you realise I'm massively unfit. But it was fun to get outside and do stuff and walk uphill. I was a, I was in the Cubs and the Scouts, you know, so it all went through that sort of, the, the same sort of thing. So the schooling system was great. And I think all the way up to GCSE, I was a bit of a geek. I just, I just loved learning and, you know, I loved I just, I really enjoyed school, I think. Um, you know, it wasn't a case of being the most popular kid in school or, you know, being the football player or the, you know, fittest student, but I just really enjoyed learning stuff. Um, so it was quite nice to then sort of balance that with, you know, scouts and getting outside and doing things and running around fields and um, eventually joining like the army cadets and stuff when I got a little bit older. So it was just finding other things to do that sort of fed my my outdoorsiness you know yeah yeah that's cool i can relate to that i, I was forever in pinching my gramps's lighter and setting fires up the back <laughs> yes <laughs> i so used to do that too <laughs> yeah um okay cool so is it is there any stories that come to mind um as you come through i mean you're still you're still you've had a lot of life experience for your current age so is there any stories that come from to mind, like, you know, 12 to 18? 12 to 18 stories. As in, like, what sort of stories? Are we talking character building stories or? Stuff stuff that, if you was to think back to that, that age time, there'd be one story that's, that stands out as being something maybe you, you overcome or something that was a struggle or just something that, you know, that tested you in some way and you found a way past. Okay. I think I didn't used to be the most confident kid in the world um, when I was young. Well, I was pretty bright, I think. Uh, well, not averagely bright. Um, I'm very outdoorsy, but again, very not insular, but I like my own space and my own my own sort of company you know yeah. um, and 
I think when I joined the army cadets, it started to sort of bring me out of my shell a little bit because I tended to be, you know, very sort of individual and, you know, be off on my own all the time with the dog or whatever. And then going into, going into sort of the army cadets is where you really start to just get a bit of confidence and a little bit of pride in yourself and, you know, a little bit of a louder voice. And I took to it like a duck on a duck takes the water. Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. I would be downloading drill manuals and learning how to mark how to become a drill instructor and you know, shooting and go, you know, and it took, for me, it was uncomfortable to sort of turn up on day one and be like, oh, there's some people here and I'm not used to people's company and you know, interesting. And then, you know, you end up kind of becoming quietly confident, I think is the way to describe it. You know, I'm not an overt brash kind of guy. I'm a bit more, you know, I'm a bit more loud and proud and confident now, but when I was, 13, 14, when I joined the cadets, you know, I was kind of conscious of the fact that I was a short, fat kid. I didn't have the greatest confidence in the world. And then all of a sudden, getting into this environment and just lapped it up. And then it was a case of, right, well, okay, what's the next thing I need to be doing? And then it got sort of recognized. And it was, um, let's get you, let's get you, you know, becoming a section commander. Let's get you becoming a drill instructor. Let's get you becoming a mountain leader. Let's, let's do this. Let's do that. Um, and I just, I, I started to find myself a little bit then and started to sort of understand that if I started applying myself and sort of getting this, not necessarily obsessive nature, but for example, I really, really like drill. You know, it's a very odd thing to like. And drill is marching around a parade square, barking orders and a drill voice, which is a proper sort of, um, what's it called? Full metal jacket, sergeant major kind of um and I just loved it. I loved it. And I would be yelling at the top of my voice across this drill parade square and yeah, getting called into the detachments to teach them drill. And in my spare time, I'll be reading drill manuals. I'll be pulling my boots. And I just, it was almost like a partially obsessive nature, uh, which has really, really stuck with me because I now apply that to everything. Um, and it, it, a common theme, I think, Joel, that we'll talk about through this, through this podcast is, uh, being comfortable, uh, becoming comfortable, being uncomfortable. Uh, and I know that's kind of butted around by a lot of folk, but it's a really, really true statement in the way that I wasn't comfortable when I first started, you know, people I didn't really know or like, you know, I'd end up getting homesick just on an evening away um, as a kid. And it was a bit weird. And I just wanted to go home. And then eventually, you know, when you just embrace that uncomfort and you just think, no, come on, let's just get a grip of myself and, and crack on. Then you start to become more comfortable. And the more comfortable you become being uncomfortable, the more opportunities start coming your way. And then, you, you know, you start taking on these adventure training, you know, opportunities and bits and pieces like that. So I think that was a really, really big lesson. Um, if that answers your question, that's kind of a story I'd, I'd sort of bears in mind, I think, for sure. Um, oh, that's cool. That's great. Yeah. No, very good. Very good. Okay. So when you were, if you were to think back, I know you said um, getting being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Is there any other, any other things from your, not, not, not so much childhood, but from your younger days that you feel took, took you a long time to learn? Yeah. And I can't remember what I wrote down on the form. <laughs> um, I think. So I learned later on, sort of post sixth form going into the army, 
And um, as much as I don't necessarily have the best relationship with my dad, it was my dad that told me, he just said, he dropped me off at the gates to um, Purbright to start my army training. And he said, I'm really, really proud of you. Make sure you say yes to everything. Um, oh, wow. I was like, right, okay, well, I'll do that. Um, my dad wasn't one for like sweet talk, and he never really says, you know, I'm proud of you or whatever. And unfortunately, we don't talk anymore. I, you know, it's all a bit of a bizarre story. But um, as much as I disagree with the situation that we're in now, that, that has really, really resonated with me. Just those few words. Make sure you say yes to everything. Become that guy. Like, well, yeah, okay. And that's what I did in the cadets and, and things like that. And then so I turn up to big boy army camp, and um, I just I just became that guy. All right, we need this font sit right. Yeah, my hands up. We need this font sit. My hands up. <laughs> my hand is there. And the, and the more you become comfortable being uncomfortable, the more you, the more you start saying yes to these things and and just taking every opportunity, every single opportunity that comes your way. It's a very slow lesson to learn because it's not comfortable. You don't want to be the guy that puts the, puts your hand up first because you start drawing attention to yourself. And if you can't back it up, you become self-conscious. Um, and then you have to just become... If you become self-conscious about these things, yet you're saying yes to stuff that you, you know is going to be a good thing. You know, Even if you're just... Like army training. We need a volunteer to run down to the gym and get this. Oh, my hand is up. Okay, that's not directly impacting anything I'm doing right away, but it's it's building that sort of reputation for being that person. It's not comfortable, but you're doing it anyway. Um, and it it takes long takes a long time, and it it takes stems back to that sort of initial building confidence lesson from earlier years. You know, you've got to have the confidence to do so. Um, and as soon as you sort of built that foundation, then when you've got these opportunities come up, you can really sort of you know, really start to make the make the most of them. Um, and uh, and then you you know the, the more opportunities you're you're getting involved with you you have no idea where that opportunity could take you you know Christ you could say yes to I don't know running and getting something from the gym fall over break your leg and you know something else happens or you could meet somebody and this happens and this this is this fruitful connection come into your life and all of a sudden you know things are changing or you could be like actually yeah this guy's a bit of a you know a bit of a thruster he's doing this he's saying yes to doing this he's all of a sudden best recruit you know. These things happen, and you 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 never know they're going to happen at the time. But you know you've got to. That was a slow lesson because I wasn't very confident um, to just start saying yes to stuff all the time, um, and uh, and just seize every single opportunity. So, did you, have you seen the film Yes Man with Jim Carrey? I have seen the film. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, but even to the extent of I, I've read Chrissy Wellington's book uh life without limits really really good book um and she was a bit of a go-getter and, and she was the one that she was also told i think by her parents once upon a time saying like make sure you seize every opportunity or say yes to everything and she did the same thing and you know she turned into a an absolute iron man legend you know um these these things happen and you've got to just have the confidence to do so i always think if you if you become the gray man if you become comfortable being comfortable then you just go, you go nowhere. You know, you, you're never stretching your, your, your comfort zone and, and your comfort zone remains the sofa in front of the telly with your pants on. You know, that, that's it. Yeah, I know. And it's, that's, that's, that's the people I, I'd love to reach. 
you know, because that, that was me. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to get out of that, you know. When yeah. you were sat on the sofa with your hands down your pants and your front in front of the TV, you're in a comfortable position. Now, it takes, it takes a bit of, like, willpower to be like, ah, do you know what? I need to go and do something. And I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to do something physical or I'm going to get up and study this because it really engages me or that's a book I've always wanted to read. So I'm going to start fucking doing it. And that's a really horrible, that's, that's not a nice thing to start doing. You know, I find it easy now, but well, no, that's a complete lie. I don't find it easy now. I find some aspects of that easy now. If I'm sat here on the sofa, my legs start to ache because I'm not using them. So I need to go out and do something physical. But for four o'clock in the morning, isn't always comfortable. You know, if I've done a long shift, a long day's work, and I've done two workouts, and I started the previous day at four o'clock in the morning, and I don't know, I got chatted to somebody, my discipline to go to bed on time wasn't the greatest because I thought it was a good, fruitful conversation with somebody. And all of a sudden, you go to bed at half past 12, and you've got to get up at four o'clock in the morning, so you have very little sleep. That's not very comfortable. But I know that when I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I do that workout, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm saying yes to the opportunity. I'm seizing that opportunity. If I stay in bed, if I scroll through Instagram or Facebook for three hours, which I used to be so guilty of doing, um, lazy mornings, honestly, my alarm clock would go off my phone and I'd just sit there and I'd scroll through. I'd, honestly, I'd look at the clock and it would be, I don't know, uh, when my alarm used to go for five, um, I would reach over, I'd snooze it for, for the first 10 minutes. It'd go off again. I'd notice I had a notification and I'd scroll through Instagram and start watching Facebook videos or whatever. And then all of a sudden, literally an hour and a half has passed. You just wasted that time. Um, it's really hard to, you know, to be able to make that first sort of, that sort of first sort of leap. But that, that nobody can, no, I don't think anyone can do it for you. No one can tell you to do it. Well, they can tell you to do it, but nobody can control your mind to say that's going to happen. You know, a lot of people wait for the perfect time, perfect moment, somebody to do it for them, something to help them. But that's all bullshit. That doesn't happen. You know, like that, you, you could do it yourself, I think. And, and that's the hard thing. So I think to all these people that you're trying to reach, those people who are sat on the sofa, they might be reading this, they might see it on YouTube, they might, I don't know, whatever. It could be in the background while somebody's watching uh, Bad Boys 2 on TV or something. Then to reach that person and be like, Actually, that's the exact position that I'm in. And I have been waiting for Monday the 1st of April to start my training program. So at the moment, I feel good about watching TV. But in reality, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and then you'll never start that training program and you'll regret not starting today. I think really start to emphasize that point of there is no perfect timing, perfect moment, because that can never happen. There's no guarantee for tomorrow. So if, you, if, it, if, it's, if you're passionate enough to, I don't know, start running and you're waiting for April 1st or whatever, then you've got to question that passion. If that passion's there, why are you not starting now? I think that's the kind of key thing to get over to those folks. You know? So what helped you break your phone, uh, phone routine in the morning? How did you break that? I left it in the kitchen. Or I would set my alarm on my phone and plug it in across the other side of the room. So I had to get out of bed to turn the alarm off. Nice. So... Um, I would either get, or get an alarm clock, which annoyed me, so I broke it. Uh, <laughs> I set my phone alarm over the other side of my room, so it would go off really, really loud, and it would be something invigorating. It wouldn't be like birds chirping or some stupid-ass alarm. No, it would be like... It would be an 
Elliot Hulse motivational video that I've downloaded from YouTube or something, and it would be, it would come on, and I'd, I'd, imme- I'd immediately feel it, and I'd be like, yes, I've got to get up. And the time it takes me to walk over to that alarm to turn it, turn it off, my mind is already turned on, and I'm good to go. Um, you know, or the Rocky theme tune, or just something really stereotypical, really cliche, cringy, but something that works for you. Like if if that happens, then you, you've got to make that excuse to get out of bed. Because, like, as, as Professor Steve Peters puts it, your your inner chimp will kick in and be like, "No, it's comfortable in bed." You know, let's just, let's just let's put our face under the cover. Let's put our phone in our chest and let's scroll through and see what the rest of the world are doing. I'm so ashamed of my own fucking life that I'm gonna go. I'm gonna lose myself in social media amongst a bunch of other losers that are also ashamed of their lives because they're, they're living through their 18 screen in front of them. Ed, you know, you could G yourself up. You could put a face, put an Instagram story up of a screenshot of your alarm clock at half past four in the morning. They'd be like, accountability. This is going on now. I'm going to share it with the world. And now I have to get up because otherwise I'm going to have to have that really embarrassing conversation with everyone saying, dude, did you get up at half past four? Actually, no, I, I put that story up and then I went back to bed. <laughs> i <been> a loser. <laughs> accountability and giving yourself an excuse to get the hell out of bed yeah uh, instead of oh, so many people live through social media it really annoys me um as much as i do it um i try and do it to promote what i'm doing and kind of you know get other people to do stuff um but these people who live this like fake ass life through social media and they put in uh, i did a rant on instagram the other day about people who like pretty boys and pretty girls in the gym that put selfies up all the time. Guaranteed they're not doing any work in the gym. They are, they're not just doing the David Goggins operating at 40%. They're operating at 40% of jack shit. They're putting, you know, they're, they're, I saw somebody on a bike texting and you're like, well, you're not working. You're not doing anything in that gym. All you're doing is wasting money, but their Instagram feed would look great. Cause you know, they're in the gym, they're outgoing, they're doing this. And it's, it's all rubbish. And I think, it's a really powerful tool for good and for bad. You know, um, yeah. you can use it in a good way to try, have, try and push people to do it for themselves, or kind of, you know, show an honest journey and doing stuff, and obviously promote your own businesses and that's this, that, and the other. Great, or just be, you know, Joe blogs on on the internet, you know, posting a picture of your dog, um, which is fine. But you can also be these people who are like 100% depressed but they live their life through social media and likes and comments and engagements. And it's, it's really sad. I think it's a real, it's just a real lost opportunity for life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I get a bit carried away with that. That was a was good. (laughs) And the other thing is I feel exactly the same way. I mean, I, I, sometimes I look at the app, the Facebook icon on my phone and and it makes me physically angry. Yeah. Um, I try. I go on there and I'll post stuff. Um, usually, like you say, about accountability for my training and stuff. Mm. Um, or I'll share something, but generally, it's it's, it's to do with uh, building a brand. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so I try not to engage on the. Uh, yeah, it just makes me cross. And you're right. People do. It's a black hole. Yeah. I, and I don't think people realise. And and. This 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 struck me about four years ago. Was, uh, I, I was I was I was I used to say to my wife, I feel like I'm halfway through. Mm. You know, I, I'm forty years old and I'm halfway through, which therefore means I'm going to die at eighty. 
Mm. And I thought, Jesus Christ. And I look back and I thought, what have I done with my life? I'm 40 years old. And I said this to a friend where I work. And he said, what do you mean? He said, you, you've got three beautiful kids. I said, I'm not taking that. I said, I have got three beautiful kids. He said, you're married, you've got a yeah. house. Said, That's all gratitude for everything I have. What yeah. I'm saying is I haven't achieved what I originally thought I might have achieved when I was 18. But you've also got to think that's through 18-year-old rose-tinted goggles. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Glasses. If I look back at what I wanted to... Well, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I was 18, but <laughs> missions and stuff. You know, I was going to do this and the other, and I wanted to be the... Uh, in fact, at 18, I wanted to be the youngest person to climb Mount Everest. That didn't fucking happen. And to an extent, I did a post about this, about because I'm going to Iceland in July for this challenge, and I went back. I went there in August last year, and I've always been sort of comparing the fact that I didn't perform as well as I wanted to when I went last year. It was, you know, to me, it was a failed challenge. And I beat myself up about it. And then you've got to realise, nobody cares. <laughs> no one cares what you set out to do and did or did not achieve. You could have achieved it. Who cares? No one cares. If, you, if you're beating yourself up because you're thinking, oh, man, what have I achieved? The only person who is affected who is affected here is you. And when you realize that, or I think this is the world according to Ben, like when you when you realize that actually looking back on it, there's no point in because you had no idea where your life was going to be today, right now, until no. two minutes ago. You, you you just didn't know. You don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, in the next minute, in the next day, in the next week, whatever. And you know, as, if, as long as you're constantly saying yes to all these different opportunities and doing stuff, you, you have no idea where the boat's going to take you. And you've also got to realise that it, the, 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 the Joe Ingram from, from last year, he's dead. The Joe oh, Ingram yeah. from last week, he's dead. Like, oh, that's how people change. Because people are like, oh, man, but what's happened to you, man? You've, you've changed. No, he's dead. Oh, this new person, I go to the gym, I do this. I realised, fuck. I haven't achieved what I set out to achieve. What do I want to achieve? I'm going to go and fucking do it. I'm going to make this podcast. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to get some ranting geezer on uh, and, and sit here and listen to his dribble for hours. But it's, you know, that's, if that's what you want to do, then you're achieving it. So many people, I was guilty of this myself. You, you, you end up beating yourself up about stuff that you think you should have achieved and haven't. Like I maybe should have achieved the full three and a half thousand kilometers around Iceland, but I didn't. So what? I learned a lesson. You know, you take a positive from that stuff. Absolutely. And if people are saying, oh, you know, I look back at my life and what have I achieved? Well, instead of looking at it negatively and be like, man, look, look what I am now. Look what I've achieved. As soon as you change the tone of that in your brain, you're like, damn, yeah, I've done this. I've done this. You know, I got out of bed this morning. That was good. I didn't get hit by a bus. That was also good. I've got beautiful children. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a house. This is fantastic. You know, whereas if you're like, fuck, what have I achieved? Then you're looking at, yeah, I've got a great family and a house, but the house cost me a fortune. The car cost me this. You know, you're looking at it negative, negatively. Um, I always think, you know, when you change your attitude, Wayne Dyer, he, he said it, didn't he? He said, um, you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I think even just your tone of, your opinion on yourself, on your life, on anything, change the tone of that for something more positive, then your brain is accepting that as a positive, not a negative. Nicely put. 
nicely put because that that statement you just said is on the bottom of my website. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. It's brilliant. It is hundred percent true. That's why I'm not. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but all of my training for Iceland, I realised last year, like fuck yeah, I didn't finish it, and I beat myself up about it for ages, and I, I it affected me quite a lot because um, I thought I've just failed and I built it up big, blah blah blah, whatever. Anyway, I. The reason I couldn't go on is because the weather was so bad. I was probably going to die if I tried to carry on. Like it would have, it was on my own, solo, unsupported, really heavy bike going in some crazy terrain. And now I thought, well, the positive I need to take from that is I need to train for the weather. Like you can train mentally, you can train physically, but you've got to train for Mother Nature, man. You're going to extreme places in the world. So now I train in the hardest weather I can find. That really menacing sounding Storm Gareth that we had the other day and Storm whatever it was. I was out on the bike in that 80, 90 mile an hour headwind. I'm I'm out. Change change the way you do, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. If I'm changing my attitude on that bad weather and not calling it bad at all, I'm going I'm looking out the window going, Yeah, it's raining, I'm gonna need a jacket. It's windy, I'm probably gonna be cold, but I've got shit to do, I'm off. Then you get out there and it's miserable. Like there's no there's no doubt about it. It's miserable for the first 10, 20 minutes. Then you're already piss wet through. It doesn't matter. Then you just crack on. You've got to get the job done. And then your attitude to that weather's changed. And eventually you look out the window and go, it could be piercing it down. Trees could be falling over. Things could be on fire. And you look outside and you'd be like, that's oh, not bad out there. Huh. Um, maybe that's just because I live in Scotland and that's just constant rain. But <laughs> it's you change your attitude to it. And, you know, that sort of negative connotation to it disappears. I think that's a really, that is a really powerful lesson, I think, for people to learn um, personally. You know, change your attitude to, to, to the way you're looking at things. And, it, and if, if you're like, oh, but I'm trying to change my attitude to the way I'm looking at things. Look at the attitude to people around you. If you're sat in a house full of people going, oh, it is crap weather out there. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrendous. It looks dreadful. All that negativity is automatically going to be like, yeah, it is pretty miserable out there, isn't it? But you've got people around you saying, Joel, are you going to go out training? Or, you know, it, you've got to get your training session in, haven't you, before we have dinner. Uh, I'm going to get dinner on now um, so you don't have to do it when you get back. For example, I'm making this, this scenario up. Oh, actually, yeah, fair enough. Uh, it's raining outside. I'm going to need my jacket. Or there's no negativity in that conversation. No. And you've gained a free dinner. You know, <laughs> there to be gained in everything. And I can't remember who it was that said it, but it's quite a common saying that goes around. You're the average of the 10 people around you, or you're the 10th person of, of all the folk that you have around you, or something like that. Jim Rohn, I think. And, you know, if you're, if you're surrounding yourself with miserable people that are just like parasites onto your positivity, and physically and literally shortening your life by being miserable around you get new cra- get a new crowd or talk to them like i had um my mum used to sort of doubt what i was doing and i said stop doubting what i'm doing you know i'm i will come up with these ridiculous challenges i need you to be there next to me i need you to do this i need you to like believe that i can do it and as soon as you kind of say that to folk they're like oh damn well it obviously means a lot to you fair enough Changing that crowd, you know. Anyway, tangent over. It's real like that. Hey, dude, I love it, man. See your passion. I told you, it's can't fault it when it comes through. 
I, I, do, I, I go off on one every now and then. But <laughs> I love it. I think it's awesome. And you, you, you're spot on. You nailed it. That's exactly what I love to help people with, what you just said. You know, it's... Uh, it's, it's and oddly enough, when I was walking home tonight, before I was coming to this podcast, I was thinking uh, to myself about... Um, you said about rose-tinted glasses. I actually used that yeah. phrase to myself, thinking back, and I was thinking the... The, the part of me, uh, what have I achieved, was resulted in a depressive uh, depression, right? Which then led to to more uncomfort and more physical pain, to the point where I thought, "This, I ain't doing this no more." Yeah. But and that was that was the pivot point for me, where it went from being self self like self pity and everything else to this: yeah. point of, What can I do? And realizing that I was in control of my yeah. future, it was it was 100%. like it was like forged in fire, you know. Hundred percent. And Joel, that happens. Like everyone will go through a phase of doing something along. Not well, no, that's really poorly put. But shit happens for a reason. I am a massive believer in that. I don't think it's a hundred percent free will. I don't think we've got. There, there's some other power going on. I'm not religious or anything like that. But there, there's something going on that that makes things happen for a reason if it's not that then there's something going on in our mind that we don't understand that makes that feel like it's happening and it's it's quite obvious that you had to go down that road yeah to then get to where you are now so you might say oh i haven't achieved what i wanted to achieve i wanted to be an astronaut when i was 15 i wanted to be a dinosaur when i was eight (laughs) neither of those things but to have the ambition to do stuff, maybe not become a dinosaur, um, is is it has to be there. You know, there are a lot of things that I want to do in the next ten years, which I probably won't do. But the ambition, ambition has to be there because you've got to drive yourself to do something. I've, I've pretty much got the next few years of challenges lined up, which will sort me out. And I'm, but equally, that could change next year. I could have this idea of like, ah, oh, no, sod it, I'm going to do this instead. Um. So everything happens for a reason. You've got to have that drive to do stuff. And even if you don't, embrace it. Understand what's going on. You've got to look in, you've got to look inside sometimes. And it's horrible. People don't like spending time on their own. Put the phone away. Throw the fucking phone out the window. Get on the floor. Turn everything off. Turn all the music off. Turn all your distractions off. Close your eyes and spend some time with yourself. It's a horrible place to be to start off with. And think it and just just be mindful, just see what your mind does. Like your mind will go through some weird stuff and you'll think about some weird shit and you'll become really uncomfortable as you're um, as you're starting to sort of spend time with yourself. But the more you do that, the more you get an understanding of like who you are, I think, and, and why people go through these sort of phases that they need to go through. Um, but you, you know, it's not a case of rushing to get out of it. Um I'd sort of a bit of like that when I was at the start of the year I had this new year and I was like I'm gonna do this and I started the new year I did New Year's Eve I did eight hours of solid climbing because I just thought I wanted a session to hurt myself for a little while and I did that and then I didn't do anything for four weeks because I just couldn't get myself out of bed I just didn't want to get out um didn't want to do this wasn't eating properly you know just felt really like miserable um and, you know, it felt like I was going into this, like, weird state of depression because I just didn't want to do anything. I had no drive to do anything. Um, but you've got to let your 
body kind of and your mind sort of go through that, I think. Because I think if you try and force it out, which is what I tried to do, I'm like, no, fuck it, I'm getting up and I'm going outside, I'm going for a run, I'm doing this. And I just loathed it. I, you know, started to really hate it. Um, and I realized that me forcing myself, myself to do this is getting me to hate the stuff which I, I've always loved. Um, so I think you kind of, your mind has to go through those phases. Uh, you just got to let it, let it happen. You know, if you, if you don't want to train, then understand why. If it's just because you're being lazy, get yourself outside and start moving. It, but if you're, if you're feeling something you just don't understand, I think it's got to play out. And then eventually, off the back end of it, you you find this, this sort of second wind or this sort of more um, positive and enlightened self. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's a lot of emotional intelligence there, uh, Ben. Um, and saying all, and all the way through, I mean, society reinforces it. Uh, our parenting and everything else is, is this fact that there are good feelings and bad feelings. Yeah. Social media further goes to reinforce uh, or to help you feel shit when you start comparing yourself against other oh. people's lives, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Literally. like you just said, you nailed it, man. It's like this, it's this, it's this understanding your emotions and being comfortable with them enough. To not yeah. feel you need the distraction of a frigging phone or a DVD or a box set on Netflix. Yeah. So you don't have to experience it. Yeah. Because there are no good or bad emotions. They just are. Yeah. No, no, that, that's it. That's it. And if your body's, if you're feeling some way, there's probably a reason for that. Mm-hmm. If it's just a case of, oh, I just want to sit and watch Netflix all day, then just try getting up and moving and doing something. And then like hold it out for a while, just keep going. And then if it's really just getting worse and worse and worse, then perhaps you need to be looking a bit more introspectively. But if it was a case of you were just feeling ugh, lazy and you just wanted to, your inner chimp was taking over and you end up exercising and sort of getting you know, invigorated and moving uh, and that makes you feel better, then great, you're coming out of that sort of wee slump. But um, I, I just think there are a lot of people that get trapped, like you said, and, in this sort of mindset and then they look on social media and like, Oh, for God's sake, well, he's doing so well. Brilliant. Well, I feel like shit because I'm not doing anything. And loathing these people that you found heroic. Um, like, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Joel, when I was going through this sort of little phase in January, it, was, it really took me for six. I didn't understand what was going on because I'm usual. I'm like, I'll do a challenge. I'll train for it. I'll already know the next one. As soon as I've finished, I'll take a day off and I'll start training the next day for, for the next challenge and understanding where that's going. Um, and the fact that I just couldn't be asked to do anything. I just didn't want to do anything. I couldn't, could not get out of bed. I was sleeping 12, 13 hours a day. I wasn't exactly working very hard. It was a very easy job that I had at the time and it was horrible. And then I'd be looking at Ross Edgley's posts. Now he's a hero. He's a great guy. Um, and I would be like jealous of what he's doing, he's got this because t- he's got the blueprint of what I want to do, more or less. Like, um, yeah, sort of. Um, and uh, I was just looking at him, going, oh, well, good for him. You know, obviously, he's got this. And as soon as you get that mindset, oh, God, it's horrible. It spreads like a virus. Um, that sort of saying of, oh, well, he's so lucky, or, well, she's obviously got this, or it's genetics for them, or they're just lucky, or, they've got the money oh man that just you're what are you doing you're justifying your own self-pity which i think is horrendous it's it's a poisonous mindset on a lot of people because social media can be that negative weapon a lot of people get stuck in that mindset 
yeah. really to get out of that. You've just got to, you've got to look inside. Like no one can do that for you. You've got to, I'm going through David Goggins audio book at the moment. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, Recommended. He, he ah, unbelievable, but go, get the, the audio book. Cause it's, it's like, um, it's not just some geezer reading the book. It's him and his ghostwriter doing the book and a podcast at the same time is brilliant. So you get like loads of bonuses. Uh, but the thing with that is you're really understanding the man and understanding the fact that he had to do the same thing, like his um, accountability mirror. I do the same thing. If I took this camera now into, into the bathroom, I've got a, a mirror covered in post-it notes with my accountability on it. Uh, I'm trying to be as harsh as he was because sometimes you've got to, you know, that's, it doesn't work for everyone, but that's how I get inside my head. Some people just have to stare at themselves and you kind of evokes emotions and thoughts that you don't want to say out loud, but you kind of have to. For me, I have to be brutal um, and just say, look, this happened because, because of this and because you're weak or because you're doing this or because that was wrong. And then eventually after you've vented all the negativity, you're like, but actually you did a pretty good job on that. (laughs) You're not massaging your ego, but you're not shooting yourself in the foot. Um, You know, I I puffed, I I washed out of Iceland. I should have gone further. Well, that's what I believe. And then you realize, no, your ego said you wanted to go further and you're writing it down saying your ego is your worst, is your own worst enemy because you're like, well, I should have kept going. Like, why should you? No, understand. You are not prepared. You were weak. I was not a good cyclist. I was not strong. I had prepared in the best summer that the UK had in 40 years, ended up in Iceland with the worst summer they had in 100 years. <laughs> I had failed in respect, but I did 2,000 kilometers. You know, that wasn't bad. I'd really learned some good lessons and I'm more prepared this time. You know, and the more you're kind of just talking at yourself and looking at yourself in the eyes, the more you can kind of get inside your mind. Oh, I really like his theory on that. Oh, that's good. I like that. I um, I tend to talk to myself through my writing, through journaling. Yeah. You know, just to get it out. Because if you leave it in there, it tends, like you said earlier on, it's toxic. It's toxic and oh. it, it'll toxify your life. Yeah. You, know? you find it with couples. Like my, my mum and my stepdad are fantastic for it. They'll come they'll come in on a on a Friday night. Um, if they work, you know, like if, if Paul's been working away or whatever, then um, they'll come in. Uh, there'll be the stresses of the day and it'll be a case of, okay, how was your day? And you have to have that vent. You're like, oh, for God's sake, my boss was this, that, and the other. And then after you've vented, you go, ah, oh, how was your day? <laughs> oh, right, it was this, that, and the other. Can we have a gin? <laughs> and it's the same with journal- journaling. It's that, so many people put a connotation on that. You're like, oh, dear diary and all that sort of thing. No. But I've got like two aspects to my journal and that is my thoughts through the day because I seem to have 35,000 million thoughts through the day. I have to write down through the day. I take my notebook everywhere with me. Um, but also like my training journal, which is you know, did this at this heart rate for this, felt like this. You know, it, it's all very sort of clinical. And it's a really powerful tool because that's, that's your own accountability. If you don't have someone to confide in, like my mum and my stepdad do, um, and you look back on that diary and you're like, actually, this is where I've come in my training or this is what I was thinking. And you're looking back and going, oh, right. So this was my thought process through January where I was feeling really down. Um, that's what I was thinking because I'm telling myself that to myself in the pages and I've recorded it. You know, it's a really powerful tool. 
Yeah. I think a lot of people, because there's a lot of talk of journaling, I think some people just think it's a bit woo-woo. But I mean, oh, they ain't fucking tried it. I think if people who people who think that have got their own insecurities that they're afraid to air themselves. Yes, yes that involves yes. taking time with yourself. And I, I guarantee that that person who's like, oh, it's all woo woo, it's all very vegan or whatever. <laughs> to vegans, but you know, um, that just slipped out. <laughs> um, you know, I think people who say that have their insecurities that they're not willing to air out. Yeah, and oddly enough, I had a conversation with a friend the other day, and they got upset. And I said, "I said you need to write whatever you're thinking right now down." Yeah. And they turned around and they said to me, "I'd be afraid." And yeah. I did. And that's the problem. Good. Why are you like? Why is that? Why? What are you scared of? Like yeah. you've got to get him. If you just keep packing it down, it's going to explode. Like yeah. if you're in a relationship, you'll have an argument with somebody. It'd be horrible. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. No. Sure. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. Me too. Okay, so it sounds like you've got some you've got coping strategies for situations in life. Have you are you naturally optimistic, or is there something you apply? And in, in, and you just mentioned journaling, but about on the hoof when you're looking at things and things go a bit shitty. Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I'd like to answer that question by saying, "Oh, I'm naturally optimistic, and I live in a world of nice, happy clouds and unicorns." But I definitely don't. Negative thoughts. Um, I this is really interesting actually because I was thinking about this when I was doing the marathons. Like I did sixteen marathons last year um, as part of uh, one of my challenges, and um, mindset was was what it was all about. And you know, you could run a marathon. Guarantee, if you and I went out tomorrow, we could run a marathon. Um, your body will do it. It's all in the mind. Hundred percent, all in the mind. Really, you might be in complete state at the end but your body if you don't believe it pick up dr mike stroud's book survival of the fittest i have read that book 23 times i have got highlights all over it it's dog-eared everything i've literally written that book out in my notebook because i've studied it so much your body will be able to do that it can do some incredible stuff but the key to unlocking that is in the head which is why people hit the wall i Dr. Maestro, he, he thinks the same thing. Mental. If you can if you can nail nutrition and you can sort your mind out, you will never hit the wall. And I ran 16 marathons in 16 days in 16 national parks um, back in October. Didn't once hit the wall. I've climbed a 20 foot gym rope 738 times. Didn't hit or, or didn't hit a wall. I've been around Iceland for 2,000 kilometers. Okay, not three and a half, but I didn't hit a wall in that time. Now, there's a part of me that is very proud of that, uh, you know, but it's not good enough yet. I think there's a way that I cope with that. And this is going to sound really cliche, but just just to hear me out here is I have an inner animal. Um, I turn into an absolute savage when I come to doing these sort of workouts, these, these adventures, this whatever. Or even if I've got to sit down and do a marathon studying session, like... I, I have this, people call it the inner beast and then they laugh at it because it's like, uh, inner beast, what a loser. No, I think there's something in that. I think every, every single person will have an inner primal animal and I think you can prove that by, if you've been sat at your desk for too long and you've ended up automatically looking at holidays or you're looking at Discovery Channel or National Geographic, that, that is your inner animal wanting to get out and do something. Because it's thinking, 
spend. We've been sat here for too goddamn long. We need to get out and do something. I'm a human being. I need to run around the fields like a spaniel off the lead. You've got to do that because you're keeping that inner chimp happy because it's exercising. You're keeping your inner animal happy. When I was on the marathons, uh, the first couple were okay. It was quite difficult to start off. And then you settle into this nice like rhythm and then it starts to get hard. And at the end of each marathon, without, without a shadow of a doubt, by like 20 miles, I was starting to get angry because this inner beast, this inner animal just, just gets me through it. And I've got to listen to certain things to set it off or, or I talk to myself to set it off when I start getting tired. And if I get tired, I'm getting angry because I know that that sort of, that animal is coming out and it's, and it's stretching its legs and it's getting some walking around time. Um, and that is what gets me through it, it. I know it sounds very sort of weird, but, um, running on the marathons or sort of, okay. The best way I can describe it is on the three peaks rope climb, which was the 738 ascents of a 20 foot gym rope. Um, in a nutshell, that was the three peaks challenge. If you put Ben Nevis, Scarfell and Snowden, the height of all of them, add them all together, you get 11,182 feet. Um, climb that 20 foot gym rope 738 times and you get to that height. Um, Jesus. And uh, I did that in a challenge in 12 hours and I got to um, rep number 400. Um, oh, and before people start putting, putting those digits in calculators, uh, I started off on fifth, uh, I started off on 15 feet and then figured I could keep going a bit higher. So if anyone's punching in calculators, don't lying. Uh, anyway, I got to rep 400. Um, I was really tired. Um, I didn't want to eat anything because I'd eaten the wrong stuff. So I was a little bit bloated and just couldn't stomach anything, couldn't stomach any water. Um, so I just thought, oh, I could keep going. And that next hundred was like one of the hardest things I've ever done. Because my hands were just dead. My body hurt. I had rope burns. Uh, I'd never fallen off, but I got to the top of one of the reps in that hundred and my hands slipped all the way down. And I had gloves. Oh. I had gloves on mine, but that just burned through those gloves. and like my grip had gone and it was horrible. Um, and it took what felt like, like six hours to get to rep number 500. Um, and you have to go away in your own little mind and find that was where I think I found this sort of inner animal that I liked to exercise. Like I'd been, you know, I loved doing endurance things in the army. I'd love doing the Glencoe sky race and all these big events, but never had I got like, had this switch been flicked. And I think that was one of two events in that year, which was 2017, um, that, that this, this animal sort of materialized. Um, I had to go inside and I just didn't want to do the next rep, but I made myself do it. And I came down and I had 15 seconds rest and I didn't want to go again, but I made myself do it. And I did that 50, 60, 70 times. And then I started to get a little bit of a you know rhythm and I thought, I'm just going to get to 500. As soon as I get to 500, I'm having myself a rest and then I'm getting some food. I've got to get nutrition. I've got to get water. I've got to get this. And then I'm going back on that rope. Um, and I was getting angry. I could feel myself getting angry. I just thought, I've got to do this. Um, and then I did every, and I did the last 20 without stopping, just up, down, up, down, up down because this thing just like came out and was like oh i've got some walking around time now uh, we're going to get up this rope because i want that pancake break at uh, at 500 um 
and then eventually got to 500 and I could just crash on the floor and eat loads of food. And then I was energized because I got over this weird sort of nutrition hump, which is why I think that hitting this wall in quotation marks is, is all in the mind. Because I, I had screwed up nutrition, which is why I was exhausted. And, but my mind could keep going. So if I packed it in, then I could have been like, oh, I hit the wall and, you know, I couldn't do it. And people would be like, oh, that seems fair. But no, I had to keep my mind in the game. And I realized uh, my nutrition's out the window. So I need to fix that. And as soon as I'd fixed that, I was back in the game. Uh, and, and I finished the, the, the final 238 re- relatively quickly. Um, and the exact same thing was in, uh, was in the Glencoe Sky Race, which was the challenge I did before then. Um, I'd done lots of like ultramarathons before, um, but I'd done it with a 25 kilo bag on. I'd never actually run an ultramarathon. I, I was doing it sort of tabbing, if you like, uh, with a big bag on, which was great for training. And then I, I turned up at the Sky Race, you know, with my, with my running shorts on and my shoes on to try and com- like, not compete, but compete against the trail. I went to see if I could run an ultramarathon. And uh, I got to, the main checkpoint, which is about three quarters of the way in before a really steep climb, if anyone knows the, the Glencoe Sky Race route, it's the route going up to the Anakiga, which is essentially from sea level to a thousand meters in the space of three kilometers. It's horrible. Um, it's just up. And uh, I got to this checkpoint. I was pretty dead. Um, I was like, damn, I'm pretty dead. And you could see they had strategically put like mini buses there and people were getting on these mini buses like, and be like, Oh, I'm just going to jack it in now. And it was all so easy to be like, just get home now. Um, and I just filled up on saurine and butter and just chocolate and just food. And I just eaten everything I could find in crisps. And the good thing about ultramarathons, it's just an eating game. <laughs> and then funnily enough, my mum texted me saying, you're currently in 104th place. And it was out of like 500 odd people. And I, had, I didn't care where I was coming. I just was going to finish. I, 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 could, I thought if I could finish this, then I can battle against my mind a little bit and just try and control myself a wee bit. And then my mum texted me. She was like, you're 104th. Damn. I'm going to finish in the top 100. And as soon as I said that, I felt alive. Like something happened. And all I could see was the finish line. And even when I, literally, when I think about it now, I get goosebumps in my arms. I was like, I'm going to finish that. I'm going to cross that finish line. People are going to be screaming and shouting. You know, I'm going to be crossing that finish line. Somebody's going to say, number 252, Ben Turner has crossed the line. And I just, oh, even now, I just get yeah. really created by it. And it's, I thought, top 100, I'm, I'm doing that. And then something took over. That was when this like weird thing comes over in your mind. And you're like, I'm doing this. Uh, and I, I struggled up the hill for sure. And I'd got to like 140th on the top of the hill. And then we were on the Anakiga, which is the narrowest ridge in the UK. And I was like, we're in, we're in my territory now. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I do lots of climbing and bits and pieces. So I like steep terrain and, and sort of gnarly ridges and stuff. So like, I'm finished. I'm, I'm crossing 40. I'm going to pass 43 people or whatever it was. Um, I started picking people off and then I just felt strong. And I was grunting. I went into my own little world. You could have, you could have put blinkers on me like a racehorse, and I wouldn't have known what was going on. I had no idea who I was passing, bar one person who I recognised because he was all wearing blue, and he was amazed that I'd caught him up. And I was like, "I've got to go, sorry." Uh, and I left. And then I apparently passed these two people on the way down the hill, um, and all I remember was looking at my feet, 
and I knew where I was because I'd passed checkpoint 14 or 15 going to the last one where my mate Tom was at the um, checkpoint and he saw me coming down the hill and he started shouting he was like yeah and I just like he's a legend and I fired up about that he was like mate you're 5k and I was like awesome and I went back into my own little world anyway when I crossed the line in a hundredth place I knew I'd done it um I, I had picked, I didn't know how many people I'd passed. I crossed the line and I got given my ticket with my final time. And it was, um, it was literally hundredth place. I was like, I've done it. And I, these people that I'd passed before, they were like, dude, are you all right? I was like, uh, well, yeah. I mean, my legs are pretty knackered. <laughs> you passed us. You were like, you were, you were growling. <laughs> you thought you were possessed. I was like, when did I pass you? Coming down the hill from the Anarchy down to checkpoint 16. I was like, I don't remember passing these people, but I would have passed right, right by them because it's the same trail. Um, like something like an animal will take over. You're, you know, you're, you're in an animal, you're in a drive and determination, whatever the hell you want to call it. I call it the inner beast, but um, that takes over, I think, when you've really got to get, get the job done. Um, but you've got to go into the, you've got to go into the hurt locker. You've got to get yourself into, extreme discomfort for this thing to be unleashed right because it's too easy for your inner chimp to be like nah let's just call it a day as soon as you shut that chimp in a cage deep in your mind and just put yourself in horrible pain then this this thing comes out and starts playing around and then you're you know you, you end up going into this sort of pit um that's that's what i like anyway that's why i like big challenges is the worst of weather i like it you know i get I get really sort of driven by it. That sounds really cool, man. I love the fact that you were growl- growling on the way past them. That sounds... <laughs> yeah, I, in fact, without spinning another dip, uh, the, the, the ultramarathons that I did before, um, I used to see them as, as military training. Um, in the army, I used to love it. I used to love beasting myself. And I thought, oh, I'll just start entering these ultramarathons. Not to sort of boost my ego, but more because they look like nice adventurous routes that I probably wouldn't have put together myself. And they've got checkpoints and, you know, you can get like a, a GPS track of it and people will take care of you if you get lost and whatever. And they're like 50, 60 and 80 mile routes. Um, so I put a 25 kilo rucksack on, put my boots on, pair of military trousers and a t-shirt. I went to look as stereotypical SF as possible. <laughs> Black cap on as well. Looking like a complete weirdo on the start line with, uh, there was a guy stood next to me who wanted to go so light he was literally wearing a bin bag and that was it uh, uh, and I started doing these ultramarathons and I loved it it was brilliant and then uh, the same company kept inviting me back because it kind of became a bit of a novelty that this weirdo was turning up with this massive great big rucksack on and two huskies and um, I did this one it was the last race that I did with this company I think it was like the fourth one or something like that and um I, I, th- I thought I was getting quite good at it. And I said to myself, I was like, I'm not coming last in this one. Uh, and I kept going. And I saw someone in front of me about three quarters of the way in. And I was like, holy shit, I'm not going to be last. I'm going to start, you know, getting a place, not just stone cold last. You know, people are just waiting around for this weirdo to finish so they can all go home. No, I'm not coming in last. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I used to just go in. Um, I used to go into my own little pain cave. I mean, I was training for some military courses at the time and I was reciting lines from sort of various books that I've read about these these units and um, like 
I was saying them out loud to myself because it would G me up um, and it would get me running. I'd be, I'd be shouting, always a little further, nothing else matters. Um, you'd be saying things like, who dares wins? And it's all very cliche when you say it, when you look back on it, but it just worked. And I'd be like over and over saying to myself, we are the pilgrim's master. We must always go uh, one step further over that last blue mountain barred with snow or whatever. And, and it would just keep me going. And I'd just, I'd just get this drive. And then, and then you start just saying, like, come on. And then, and it, and it's just, something comes out and then you can just, you're just grunting and growling and shouting because it hurts and you're trying to get past that hurt as this thing comes out inside of you and it really just sort of takes over your body your body just becomes a passenger as this drive pushes you forward um and i found that on the marathons and i was running people running past people grunting and growling and i got to the end and just shaking my head off from one because i'd broken my knee and i just finished the marathon and i felt like crying because I was in so much pain and I just yelled at the top of my voice in the middle of Hathersage outside Alpkit just to sort of expel that final bit of energy because I still had energy left and I was in a lot of pain. Um, and uh, I just felt fantastic. You know, it, it, it's your body becomes a passenger, I think, as soon as you tap into the mind. Sounds like you were well into the flow there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I look like a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> I've never, I've never experienced anything. I've had, I've experienced time slowing down in yeah. situations, um, but I've never experienced that. Uh, and I think I'd like to. So, I mean, obviously, you're very dynamic with the way that you're speaking, and it can the passion's coming over. So, I'm thinking if someone was to thinking, I'd like, I, I gotta have a crack at something where this thing could maybe come out of me. Where would they start to look? What sort of things? Would you look at yourself in the mirror and say. What am I scared of? That takes a lot of time, I think, and a lot of honesty. Like, okay, I'll be honest with you. I'm still scared of deep water. So one of my next challenges is going to be a cold water Arctic sea swim because that shit scares me. Uh, if I can't see below me, nah, mate, I can't do it. And, and I knew that last year. So I bought myself a wetsuit, went to Scotland and forced myself to swim. Like the way you do that, the way you find this kind of weird other side of being able to train and do stuff that makes you uncomfortable, you've got to be exactly that uncomfortable. If you're like, oh, but I need to go, okay, I might want to go for a run. No, that's just not powerful enough. You look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I am fucking scared of this. <laughs> like that is, and to admit it to yourself takes a lot of balls as well. Um, I can look in the mirror now and be like, I'm, st I'm still scared of deep water. I need to get more out into the sea. I need to get myself there. I need to put your wetsuit on, walk out into the sea and stand there and be like, this is, I don't, I don't like this. And make yourself uncomfortable. Yeah. The way you find this and the way you, the way you find the key to be able to sort of push you to the other side to extreme fucking discomfort this david goggins says it perfectly you know that that's what he does that's where he found goggins as he as he, as he calls it um like that's his inner beast and it, and he's gone full on with it and it's brilliant and i hope to god one day i can find that inside me somewhere because you're just trying to find that sort of best version of you the strongest version of you and if you if you want to find it for yourself and you've got no idea where to start, then 100% honesty and being introspective is the way to do it. Um, you know, 
what am I scared of and what do I really want to do? And if it's like, oh, I really want to run a marathon. Well, why have you not done it yet? If you've not done it yet, something's holding you back. If you're fat, you're fat. Be honest with yourself. And you'd be like, I'm fat. I'm unfit. I'm weak. I've spent too much time watching Game of Thrones and eating cheese. I need to be doing something. And then you've got to go outside and make yourself feel really, really uncomfortable. Um, like if, for example, I'll stick with the running example. If you look at that and go, I really want to run a marathon. Why the fuck have I not done it yet? I'll get out of bed in the morning. Right. Set your alarm for 3 a.m. Get outside, really uncomfortable. You're tired and force yourself to move. If you're in tears when you're doing it, brilliant. Keep going and do it and do it more and then do it again the next day. Consistency. That is, is key. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect on a consistent level. Um, again, can't remember who, it, who, who said it, but um, um, what's the quote? Uh, greatness is a lot of things done well day after day. Um, you know, you've got to do, you've got to keep doing it. It's not just like a one-off. Oh, I can like, force myself to go and run 20 miles. Brilliant. As soon as tomorrow comes, yesterday uh, as soon as tomorrow comes, today's you is dead. Nobody cares. Do it again the next day. Uh, and the more you kind of subject yourself to that discomfort zone, um, even if it's like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and row, or I feel really, really uncomfortable studying. I, I really want to learn French. Why have I not learned French yet? Because I'm fucking lazy. Because I can't sit down. I can't find the time to do it. Right. I'm going to get up at three o'clock in the morning. There's a, there's a common denominator here. Early mornings are key. I'm going to make myself a coffee. I'm going to learn French. I'm going to learn a word. And as soon as I've learned a word, I'm going to learn an introduction. And then when my partner wakes up, I'm going to introduce myself in fucking French. That's going to happen. You've got to force yourself into that discomfort zone. Can't think of any other, any other examples, but you, essentially start it and i think the most powerful thing to do is do it early in the morning um and the reason i say that is because if you start your day with a lion you're on the back foot because every other fucker's been up early like they've got up at seven o'clock or whatever and started their day they've had their breakfast they've gone to work and you're on the back foot you get up at four o'clock in the morning and you get up and you take your time getting up you have a coffee i i get up in the morning i'll i have i'll put the kettle on i'll go and stretch i'll kind of introduce myself to the day nice and gently uh i know it sounds like I'm a bit of a masochist with the training and stuff like that but i i like to own that first hour and you know stretch and i'll have a brew and i'll sit down and just like read a book or something or and then and then i'll get into my day be it my first training session or I look at emails or whatever um but as soon as you can get up and you can do that by the time anyone else has got out of bed and scrape together a coffee i've already had my breakfast had my first workout and i'm and i've already started work you know i'm good to go yeah. early morning is a key um so to, to sort of summarize a point where i've gone off on yet another tangent um i think the key points are, are being really honest with yourself and then force yourself to be uncomfortable but be honest with yourself do you really want to run a marathon is that really what you want to do you really want to learn french because if it's not you're wasting your time and that's where staring yourself down in the mirror comes in because, you know, and, and logging things down, like you said, journaling, you know, the more, the more you, the more you lie to yourself, the more you're just wasting your time. You know, 
you could be like, oh, I really want to run a marathon. Do I really want to run a marathon? No, I want to make an app for a phone that does this. Oh, man, that's brilliant. And then you go off in that thought process. You're not running a marathon because it looks good to run a marathon. You're doing something you love. Um, you know, you've got to, you, it, you don't enjoy everything. But if the end goal is something that looks amazing, if you want to do that app, you've got to learn how to program in phones and stuff like that, you know, then you've got to learn that shit and that could be uncomfortable. So make yourself uncomfortable, get up early in the morning and be honest with yourself in the mirror. That's the key, key things for that. That's what I'll be doing tonight when I go to bed. <clears throat> See what comes out. Yeah. yeah. You've got to live in it. You've got to live in that. I, I live every single I get up every night. I'm thinking of my route around Iceland because I know it's going to be really, really hard. I'm thinking there. I know the route in my head, off my heart already. I know it. And I'm thinking about it every day. And sure, I've got to get up in the morning at four o'clock tomorrow morning and I've got to go for a three hour ride before I start work. And that's going to be uncomfortable. I don't want to get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning. Who does? But I've got to get up and, you know, I've got to do my stretching and kind of get, get myself into the, into the world and then get on my bike and start pedaling. Um, you know, it's, it's got to happen. But I know the end goal's there because I'm constantly, I'm there in my mind. Um, Conor McGregor said it, you know, he was, he was, he was um, uh, UFC world champion or, sorry, f- forgive the accolade. I can't, I don't know exactly what it is, but he was, he was the best UFC fighter in the world ever since he started doing UFC somewhere in Northern Ireland, you know, he was, he was there already in his mind and it took him X years to get there and do it. And he's now, um, what is it? Double weight world champion or whatever, but, um, you know, you, you've got to visualize it. You've got to. Yeah. No, I say, I think Muhammad Ali was the same, wasn't he? Yep. Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, that's another in the, in the stated, uh, method is that visualization. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, I think I think they've got plenty of plenty of uh, takeaways from the days. I don't want to say I know you got a, a beautiful tea being cut by a beautiful lady, so <laughs> I'm I'm aware of taking up your time, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you okay to go for a little bit more, or do you want to wrap him up? Or I'm, I'm easy uh, to throw with you. I don't mind. I mean, we could do a part two if you like. I'd love to do a part two, and hopefully my beaten camera will be working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do a part two. I mean, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty easy for the next few weeks. I'm I can be ready when you're ready. But uh, um, even if it's tomorrow, or whatever. Um, I'm pretty hungry. I'm not going to lie right now. Um, but uh, but we could certainly do a part two for sure. Fantastic. Let's do that. Um, okay. So on this first one, I'm going to ask you now if you could tell my audience uh, where they can find you and on what platforms. Cool. So I, I'm on. Most social media, probably most active Instagram and Facebook uh, and YouTube under Athlete Adventure. Um, I tend not to sort of use my name so much, not for any particular reason, but Athlete Adventure is the platform that I use or it's athleteadventure.com and I'm, I'm currently working on my new website. So hopefully by the time this is, this is up and running, then my new website will be up and running too. So Athlete Adventure is me. Fantastic. Uh, I'll put all the links uh, below. Um, I wanted to ask, do do you provide help and guidance for uh training and nutrition so this is all part of my new website um nutrition not so much i'm not a nutritionist i'm uh, i'm trying to book myself onto martin mcdonald's nutrition mac Mac nutrition union and sort of get down that line but not yet um what i do do is 
um, my new website is going to be a essentially a paid paid per month tribe. I want to not a tribe. It's a, it's a bullshit word. What I'm trying to do is create this internet hub of like-minded people who want to go out and just be better, um, but be better specifically through doing adventurous things. That's kind of my thing. And uh, the whole idea behind that website is I don't know anything or everything. Like I'm just a passenger. There are people who are masters of their trade and I want to learn from them to A, adapt my own adventures and my own training, but B, share what these people have been through to help Joe and Jane on the street, you know, get through everyday life. Uh, there's one guy who I video interviewed and he had to do this really, really hard um, climbing route. Uh, long story short, he, he literally said to me, and he doesn't do melodrama, he said, I had to get myself into the mindset where I wasn't afraid to die to complete this route. And that's very extreme. There's something I can take away from that on my training, but there is also something that we can, um, you know, as Bruce Lee said it, uh, adapt what is necessary, discard what is not, add what is uniquely your own, that you can, you can, somebody can apply that same sort of or similar principle to Monday morning. You know, there's something there. And I think the most common, th- uh, sorry, the most um, common denominator of all these things is people need to get outside and do stuff. Um, so what I do is the new website's going to be like £5.99 a month. And in there, I'm going to pump all the knowledge that I have learned, that I've gained through all of my challenges, like all these videos with other people who know what they're talking about. Um, and then we're going to be offering workshops and things for sort of guidance um, and start to do like various adventure retreats and bits and pieces like that. So um, although it's £5.99 a month, I'm trying to give people £599 per month sort of a value because, you know, as, as long I'm not necessarily monetarily driven. I just want to like help people. And I think it's worth that. So that's the whole idea behind the new website. I like it, man. That's uh it sounds awesome. It's something definitely I might be interested in. So we have to, like, I eagerly await that, uh, that, that opening. Absolutely. And Hopefully from now, two weeks and it should be sorted. Excellent. Excellent. I'll keep myself posted and I'll let me know when and I'll, uh, and I'll share the necessary links. Um, okay. I want to thank you again for your time. appreciate you. Thank you for taking yeah, the time out. And uh, I look forward to connecting again uh, soon. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely, man. Anytime. <laughs> Lovely job. Thank you, Ben. Nice one. Cheers, Joe, mate. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, buddy. Enjoy your, enjoy your meal. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram, and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. Thanks, Ben, and apologies for the uh, for the non non audio uh, visual. Mate, no problem. No, I thought that was all right actually. There was this loads of takeaways in there. Do you want the Do you want the MP3 of this? Sure, actually, it'd be interesting to hear what I've just said. <laughs> this is loads in there. Definitely, <laughs> definitely some Instagram content. Anyway. Yeah, man, it'd be yeah, that'd be fun. It'd be interesting to see what I've said. <laughs> <laughs> excellent stuff okay go on I'll leave it to it you said you're hungry and a nice man has training as much as you has got to eat oh I love eating <laughs> <laughs> take it easy have a good evening alright mate I'll speak to you soon dude cheers man bye bye all the best